two she's talking about. Okay? So just so I take a minute to thank you. So as you can see, Pastor Tim's not here today, and every pastor, when they go on vacation or out of town or get called to speak somewhere, hopes that their replacement speaks on one of three things, prayer, fasting, and tithing. So today we're going to talk about fasting. And uh, I have the distinct honor of calling the church to a fast. And so things are a little backwards because of last week. Uh, As you know, if you tried to come here for service, the power is out. But uh, we're a little bit more organized than what it might seem because we had planned for Pastor Tim to give a message on the prodigal son last week, and then this week I was to be the follow-up and invite everyone in the church to fast. So you're going to get the fasting message first, and then next week you'll get the prodigal son message, which sets up this message. So it's kind of one of these things, right? So uh, just bear with us. But uh, basically the fast is going to be the three uh, days of the month that are the first, the second, and the third. And we're going to do it every month through December of 2014. And uh, I'll explain a lot more about it in in a little bit. But basically... It's in response to a prophetic word that we had gotten as a church. And that prophetic word was in our 2014 prophetic bulletin. I rolled that out to you in January. And there were nine prophetic words, but this one word really landed on us as leaders. And we really felt a unction and a burden to really pray this word through. Because as you know, prophecies are given as potentials, aren't they? And so we get to partner with God to bring that into the earthly realm and, and have it brought to fruition. So... The word was this. Let me read the prophetic word to you and uh, kind of provoke your memory on it. But uh, it said, Youth being revived to bring revival. Youth are being highlighted as the generation to bring forth a mighty move of God. Revival fires will be birthed. Many spiritually dead and disenfranchised youth will be rapidly healed to bring vibrancy to this new move. Leaders are encouraged to spend time and resources to train and equip these prodigals pouring new wine into new wineskins. This will be a time of testing to establish, are you in or are you out? So we thought this was a a pretty specific word. We know it's not just to C3, but it's to the church at large. But yet, we could see in our own house how we really would like to see God move on this word. So we decided to really partner with this word. Um, Then in February, someone gave a corporate prophecy in the sanctuary during the service that called for the return of the prodigals. And I don't know if you were here that day, but basically what we did is we stood up and we all faced the back of the sanctuary, extended our hands and prayed a welcoming for the prodigals who would be coming. So you may have remembered us doing that act of faith to welcome them home. And so that's the heart behind this fast. So we want to engage in this fast. And you might be thinking, well, today's June 1st. Yeah, it starts today. (laughs) Sorry to inform you. But the good news is, if you got plans, you know, maybe you had lunch plans or something, go for it. You know, this isn't legalism, uh, and we know it got rolled out kind of last minute to you. But uh, fast tomorrow, fast Tuesday if you can. But the thing is, is we want to just initiate, get it kicked off. We didn't want to wait another month to roll it out because of the timing. So we encourage you, if you can help out, uh, jump aboard whenever you can. But, uh, and also... If you have any kind of restrictions against fasting, maybe you have some health issues, maybe you're a diabetic, we encourage you not to fast uh, when it comes to food. 
So you can pick up the fasting guidelines. We printed out uh, five pages on how to do a fast, how to break a fast, and uh, all the guidelines for fasting. It's on the counter in the Welcome Center, and it will also be on our website. So if, you, if you're looking for the mechanics, the more how-tos, we're not going to cover quite that today, but uh, it's all written out for you. So you can study that. And there's other ways to fast other than fasting food. Um, and we don't encourage any children to fast So uh, you know when it comes to food. But they can fast things like social media, Facebook, Instagram, things, Twitter, things like that. Okay? So I encourage you to be part of that as well. Okay, so when we, when we fast and we get a prophetic word like we've gotten this time, we ask that you would always look at a prophetic word in the light of God. And in January, again, I kind of explained to you what we tell our prophetic team. Whenever someone gives you a prophetic word, hold it up to the light, right? And that's what egg farmers do. Egg ranchers will hold an egg up to a candle or a flashlight, and they're looking to see, is there an embryo in that egg, or is it just a yolk? If it's just a yolk, it goes in the bucket to the bakery, but if it's got an embryo, it goes in the bucket to the hatchery, right? So does that word have life in it? If it does, we want to steward that word, we want to nurture that word, we want to incubate that word to see that word come to pass. But if it's a dead word, a dead egg, then just discard it, right? It goes to the bakery. So we always encourage you to first candle the word. Um, I just want to let you know, too, I'm not going to advance the slides this time. Uh, first service, we had some problems with the slide builds weren't working correctly, so I don't want the slides to be a distraction, so I'm just going to leave it on this slide. That's okay with you guys. Um, second, whenever someone gives you a prophetic word, write it down. Um, whenever you get a dream, write it down. I encourage everyone to keep a journal. And you always write these things down. You always date them. And I always go back in my journal. And whenever I see a fulfillment of a prophetic word or maybe a dream gets fulfilled, I write down that fulfillment. And then that becomes like a, a record of all the times that God is moving in your life. And so you have this history with God. And I'll tell you what, it really builds your faith when you see that happen. So I encourage you to write it down. The other thing it does, it pulls it out of the heavenly realm, out of spiritual potential, and it grounds it into the earthly realm because it shows as a sign that your heart is positioned to receive that word, to steward that word, to write that word down. And when it's written down, it reminds you to pray for it as well, doesn't it? So I like to think of it as prayer waters those words so you begin to water those words with your prayers. And then fasting is kind of like the fertilizer. It's like the miracle grow. When you put that on those prophetic words, right, it really accelerates the growth of that prophetic word. So if you can develop the discipline of fasting, it really increases the spiritual power in it. I want to say, too, um, especially the young people that might be here, I, I, I don't want this word to seem like it's just directed at the prodigals at the ones who have been disenfranchised or the ones who have been embittered, that they're going to come back and spark a revival. Because then what's that do for the faithful ones? They think, man, I've been good. I've been serving God all this time. They're kind of like the older brother, right? And, and now God's going to use this guy who, who walked away and came back. But the thing is, is the Word tells us that we're the ones to encourage them, to equip them, to train them, and to pour into them so that they get back on track. And they're going to bring their experiences to encourage us and to get us off dead center as well. So it's kind of a washing one or the other, isn't it? And so we'll learn and experience and work together as a team to bring about this move that God wants to bring about. 
So next week, Pastor Tim is going to do a whole thing on the prodigal son. But today, I wanted just to share a portion of the story, the first part of the story, and he'll do a more in-depth, probably more theologically than what I'll do today. But I just wanted to highlight something that's in the prodigal story that I think is really interesting. So you remember the story, right? This, this younger son comes to the father and he demands his inheritance. So the father gives him his half and he splits, he takes off with it, and he goes and lives in the world, right? It said he went into riotous living. So he's just living it up with his dad's fortune, his inheritance, and lo and behold, when the money runs out, he finds himself all alone uh, feeding pigs. Can't get much lower than that for a Jewish boy, right? Pigs were filthy, unclean animals, and so here he's in the pig pen, he's starving to death, and he's longing for even the pea pods that the pigs are eating. It says he came to his senses, and when he came to his senses, he remembered his father's house and how even the servants had it better than he had it right now in the field, and he desired to go home back to his father's house. As he returns, his father sees him from afar, and his father comes running towards him. He hugs him, he kisses him, and, and they have a great reunion. And uh, he goes as far as blessing this young man by giving him the robe, he gives him a ring, and he puts sandals on his feet, right? So all this happens in the first half of the prodigal story. And then the second half talks about the older brother and his attitudes towards the younger. But what's interesting to me, and again, this isn't theologically correct, but it's just an observation from the standpoint that the prodigal ends up on a fast, doesn't he? It's an unintentional fast. But all of a sudden, the starvation diet that he's on leads him into a lot of principles that you find in fasting. And so I want to outline a couple of those principles. These aren't all inclusive, but some major highlights that happen when you fast. And this, this prodigal experienced these things, and even though it wasn't intentional, the unintentional effects were the same. And I offer these up to you also as prayer points, because as we pray and fast for these prodigals to return, we want to use these as prayer points. So the first thing that happens is hunger begets hunger, doesn't it? So he's so hungry, he's so starving, and what's he start to hunger for? He hungers for his old life. He hungers to go back to the way things were, doesn't he? And we need that hunger in us. So many of us don't have a hunger any longer. We forgot about all the benefits of God. We forgot about how to serve God. And we need to get hungry for the things of God once again. Because you know what? We've substituted everything else for the hunger of God. And we're so full on the world that we need to, we need to deliberately break that. We need to fast from those worldly things that have filled our hearts and our minds and stolen our attention from the things of God. And we have to be intentional and deliberate to break that. And once you break that, once you enter into that place of hunger that fasting brings you to, you get to that place of holy desperation, saying, I want to change. I want something different. I want to go deeper. I want to return to the heart of God. And that's what it said, the second thing, he came to his senses. When you fast, contrary to what all your body is telling you, you come to your senses, right? When you're fasting, you're like, I'm dizzy. I got a headache. I think I'm going to pass out. You feel like you're losing all your senses. But if you push through and you keep going and you get determined and you say, I'm not going to be stopped in this, all of a sudden you break through and you get that second wind 
and you enter into that place that fasting can only take you, and next thing you know, you have this, this desire that, that your senses are just heightened and aware and awareness, and that it kind of recalibrates your thinking and your heart, and it takes you to a whole nother level, doesn't it? The next thing that fasting does, it made him consider his father. When we fast, all of a sudden, our attention refocuses onto the Father and the things of the Father because all that time that you spend eating and preparing food and thinking about food and worshiping our stomachs, we can take that time and redeem it and spend it purposing it for God. And like I said, maybe you're not fasting food, but maybe TV, maybe social media. I mean, we're addicted to these things, aren't we? And if you take that time and you redeem it and you set it aside, Instead of watching the shows I always watch or, or surfing the net or whatever it is you do, you'll be amazed at how much time you find. Hey, I can pray. I can fast. I can, I can read my word a lot more by denying yourself things of those worldly things that fill us up and, and ruin our cravings for God. The next thing, his desire to return to his dad. What does he say? He says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell my father, I'm not worthy to be your son. What a great story of repentance, isn't it? He goes back and he tells his, his father, I repent of everything I've ever said and done. I am so sorry, Dad, that I treated you the way I treated you and how I took you for granted and how I squandered the things that you worked hard for. So fasting leads us into that place of repentance because that heightened awareness that we have of who we are, but more importantly, who he is, right? And then the last thing is, it gives us power and authority. At the end of the story, what happens? The dad gives him the robe, he gives him the ring, he puts sandals on him, he says, kill the fatted calf, we're going to have a celebration, we're going to have a party like no other party. And what happens is, oldest brother gets really jealous. You're going to trust him? He just went off into the world, and he squandered everything, and now you're going to trust him? It is so counterintuitive in the story, isn't it? But I shared with you a while back, probably remember, but uh, a few years ago, I was uh, involved in an engineering firm, and uh, my business partner and I, we were trying to get some venture capital, and we were going to banks, and we had a really nice business plan, and we were shopping banks to try to get some banks to fund us. And so as we are going to these banks, they kept turning us down, one bank after another, and we're like, this is crazy. We got a sound business plan. We got a good track record. We got great products. Just didn't make sense. And they kept telling us the same thing. You guys are too young. You're not established. And we're like, why won't you take a gamble? And nobody would do it. So we were down to about our 20th bank that we're going to. And I had read in the Detroit News that this bank had just given this firm that I knew about a huge loan. And they had been bankrupt. So I told my my business partner, I said, we got this one. He's like, why are you so sure? I said, because last week they gave a bankrupt company money. And he said, oh. So we go through our presentation, and we got to the end, and we got the standard thanks but no thanks. You guys are too young. You're too inexperienced. We can't trust you with that kind of money. And I said, wait a second. He said, last week you gave a bankrupt firm a huge amount of venture capital. Why would you fund a bankrupt company, but you won't invest in us? And the banker says, you don't get it, do you? And I said, get what? He said, we love bankrupt companies. He said, we gladly invest in bankrupt companies. I said, that makes no sense. 
goes, oh yeah, he goes, because they've been burned. And he says, they got burned with the other guy's money. They know not what to do next time, right? So their experience is great for us because now they know not to go down that road that led to bankruptcy, and they'll avoid that at all costs. And all of a sudden, it made sense, doesn't it? And same thing with the father, right? He saw this bankrupt prodigal come home, and he said, I can trust him now because he knows what it is to be burned. And God still uses us, doesn't he? How many of us have been burned? How many of us have done things that, that only God can fix? And we have that as our testimony, as our witness, how great God is. So I would just submit to you that as average Christians, we just don't understand the power that fasting and prayer has for us, that's at our disposal. Um, prayer and intercession doesn't make sense, especially intercessory prayer. One of the best definitions I've heard of intercessory prayer was a guy who said, God wants us to tell him what he told us to tell him. <laughs> I'll say it again. God wants us to tell him what he told us to tell him. It makes no sense, does it? But try it. Try praying the word. Lord, you said in your word that you would give me everything that I desire. Lord, that all your promises are yes and amen. And you start reminding God of his promises, of his power, of his blessings. And all of a sudden, you're telling God what he told you to tell him. And it makes sense, doesn't it? So, same thing with fasting. God, do you want me to go on a starvation, a hunger strike? That doesn't make any sense. But all of a sudden, you start doing it and you're like, wow. I'm in that secret place. I'm closer to you than I've ever been in my entire life. And then all of a sudden you understand the intimacy of prayer and fasting. And it's no longer spiritual discipline. It's no longer something that you're commanded or you have to do, but it's something that you get to do. And you're like, I can't wait. I can't wait to steal away time. All day long when I'm here, I'll tell you, I'm jealous for this prayer room. I'm thinking of all the times I can sneak into the prayer room. And Denise hunts me down like a mad dog sometimes. Because I'm trying to sneak into the, the prayer room because I love that place. Because it's my meeting place with God. And I invite you to come and spend time. It, it does great to get away and to hide out with God, doesn't it? Because it just builds you up so much. So you have to develop that, that history with God. I want to spend some time giving testimony to the power of fasting. And um, you might look at my physique and say, doesn't look like you fast much to me. And uh, you would be right. You would be right to judge me because it's not my strong suit. I, I freely admit that. Um, but I'm trying. I really am. But I thought today we would bring someone skinnier that would be more, more credible and uh, a man that I know who lives a fasted lifestyle. This man is on his face. He understands the power of prayer. And God has given him victory after victory in the area of fasting. So we wanted to make time for Robert Tolnai to come up and share with you some of the joys of fasting that he's learned throughout his walk. So, Lord, we just thank you so much for Robert. We just thank you for his life. We thank you for his leadership. And Father, we ask now that you would just anoint his speech and that he would just provoke our hearts when it comes to the ministry of fasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, I'm a little ADD, so I can't do the same thing twice. <laughs> this first and second service thing, I don't know how you guys do it every week. Um, but, you know, 
I think Ron Tolfrey could testify to this. We went to Africa get together, and I love stories. I love knowing people's stories and hearing them and telling, telling stories. I love the stories of the Bible. And so I want to just give you guys a couple stories, I guess. Um, when I was probably about 19 years old, I heard this old guy uh, preach, and, and he talked about fasting a lot. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool, you know. And, uh, I mean, I used to just eat, like, two triple cheeseburgers from Wendy's and just, like, a Frosty and a Fry, and I was, like, losing weight. And my metabolism was just high, and I'm just like, this is awesome. I love food, you know. And, uh, and, and when you, you know, when I heard this guy speak, I'm like, giving up food, huh? You know, like, that's a way to find God. I, you know, I, it was kind of confusing to me, but I thought, well, he, you know, he, he was really fiery preacher. And I was like, this guy has something that most people don't have. And all he talks about is skipping food, you know, don't, not eating. And I'm like, I'm going to try this, you know. So I tried to ease my way into it and did like, you know, I'm not going to fully not eat, but I could eat some fruit and vegetables like Daniel fast. And, and it was kind of, you know, not that hard really to adjust. You get used to it. And so we were doing these 40-day fasts, and I was eating fruits and vegetables, you know, raw fruit and vegetables for the length of them. And then we were going to these conferences and praying at the end of it. And it was happening all over America. So it was kind of cool. You know, you felt like you were you were part of something bigger than just you. And um, I remember he was preaching. This guy was preaching, and he said, I, I want a company. He did a real raspy voice, of, and he goes, of, of, of people to pray with that will love, their, the, love what the Lord tells them to do more than their bellies. And I went, huh, that's, you know. And so he starts sharing these stories about this guy named Reese Howells. I left the conference. I think I felt like I was high on God. I'm like, wow, this is amazing, you know. And me and Hannah were crying the whole way home. We were dating at the time because we had never heard somebody speak like that. And, you know, he, he kept mentioning this guy, Reese Howells, Reese Howells, Reese Howells. And there's a book about him called Reese Howells Intercessor. And I'm like, I'm going to buy that book. And, you know, dumb old me, I didn't write the name down. And I'm like, what was the name of that book? You know, and Hannah's like, I don't know. And I'm like, no, I'm trying to Google and find this book. And like two years later, this guy comes up to me at I Hope and goes, hey, I got this book that the Lord told me to give you. And I'm like, you know, gosh, please, what, like, uh, what is it going to be? You know, he pulls it out, and it's the book. And I, I start crying. I hug him. I go, I love you. You know, I've been looking for this. And when I saw the name, I knew immediately it was the book. And this guy wrote a, uh, you know, he, this guy, Norman Grubb, wrote an uh, autobiography or, or biography about Reese Howells and, and the life that he lived. And he lived a really extraordinary life in the Lord. And when he was about 18 or 19 years old, he'd come to America um, from Wales, and he was here trying to get rich. And uh, this was about 100 years ago, in the early 1900s. And the Lord brought him back to Wales. And during that time, there was a Welsh revival going on, and 100,000 people got saved like in, within a year's time. And um, the whole community was changed. The bars shut down, brothels shut down. Um, everything shut down. The, the, the soccer teams, national soccer teams, refused to play soccer for two years because they were going to the revival services. So everything changed. And he's home, and uh, the Lord comes to him and says, I'm looking for a man that I can possess with my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to give you one week to make your choice. This all sounds kind of weird probably. 
And he says, I'm going to give you one week to make your choice, and after that, um, you know, we'll see where you're at. But after this week, if you decide yes, then I'm, we're gonna, you're going to live an extraordinary life within me. If you say no, you're still going to go to heaven. I'm not going to send you to hell or anything weird, but, but I'm not going to come and knock on your door again. And so he said for a week he was tormented, and the Lord would show him all these things he had to give up. You have to give up your love of money. You have to give up your love of wanting to travel the world. You have to give up this idea of having a family. You have to give up this, that. And so every night he said he would cry himself to sleep. And the last night he was laying there and he said, the Lord even told him on 6 o'clock by Friday night I'm going to come and ask you. And, and he said, uh, he was sitting on his bed and, and the Lord says, what's your choice? And he says, I'm going to follow you. And he gets down on his knees and surrenders his life to Christ. From that point on, the Lord took this guy through a crazy journey of, of prayer and fasting. And it started with Go love Will Battery, the guy who wasn't converted in the revival. Go love him. And go, uh, you know, he's homeless, his hair's all over the place, he smells, he doesn't eat normal food, he's, he sleeps in a boiler room, and I want you to be his best friend. In fact, I want you to bring him over for Christmas dinner with your family. And so he starts loving this guy for three years, it goes on like this, and people would look at him funny, why are you with that man? And he said the Lord would just break him down. He would walk by the mayor of the city with Will, hold, you know, side by side. And the mayor would kind of scoff at him. And he said the Lord would make him go in a circle and come back by. And, and then back by again until he became nothing. He said, I, I got so rid of every selfish desire I had in my heart that I became an intercessor. And he said an intercessor is a person that prays the things the Holy Spirit tells them to pray, and then they don't exalt themselves higher than the thing they're praying for. So he goes his whole life and has all these like testimonies, people getting healed, different things like that, revival in Africa, he went to Africa. And then uh, at the end of his life, the Lord knocks on his door and says, World War II is going on at this time, and he's an old man now, and he says, you are gonna, you're going to have a, a, pr- a company of people that's going to pray to end the war. And they started shipping off all their young men. It was like all women in their town and the old men. And, uh, and the Lord said, you're more responsible for the front lines than those boys you shipped off. And from Wales, you're more responsible for what happens in Germany, what happens in Africa. And, and he said, okay. So every night, they cleared their schedules. And from 5 o'clock to midnight, they would pray. They would pray every day at lunch, and they would pray every day at breakfast. And they began to fast and pray, and the craziest things started happening. If you can ever get this book, I'd encourage you to buy it. It's called Intercessor, Reese Howell's Intercessor. And they had uh, corresponding journal entries of Reese Howell's prayer journal and, and what Hitler was going through. And Reese Howell's was on his face praying, and he said, we need to pray for the front in Africa. The, uh, uh, the Nazis were pushing uh, the Allies back into uh, the Bible lands, basically, and Palestine, all those lands, Israel, and they were backing them up against the wall. And what was happening was the British troops were, were thirsty. They started drilling this well, and there was like million, you know, tons of soldiers around. They were outnumbered, outgunned, and they struck water. And by the time they struck water, they had to retreat. And the Nazis were, were thirsty. They came and broke past the line, and they were... Their, their mouths were so dry, they couldn't tell they were drinking salt water. The water had not been tested. They all died. 
And, um, and he said, you know, the Lord began to show us that there was power in the realm of intercession and that we could be a governing body in that place of intercession. And another thing, thing after thing happened, and it's, you know, it's laid out. I don't want to get into it. I'm running out of time already. But he began to say, I'm not going to elevate myself higher than the thing I'm praying for, and I'm going to pray the things the Holy Spirit has me praying. And so this word came out, you know, for these youth. And, you know, the Lord's come through the leadership and the, and the prophetic team and, and said, we're going to take this thing seriously and we're going to pray. And so what does that look like? You know, what does that look like for a bunch of, you know, 40, 50, 60-year-old adults to be concerned about some kids? Because we can see them on the corner and go, those kids are up to no good. You know, I know what they're doing. And we see them going here and there, and you're like, you know, here come the hoodlums, you know, and what are they up to? And you're, you know, lock the doors, everyone, that, you know, these kids are playing down the street, but no one really ever stops, you know, to, to, uh, to, to care for, you know, them. And this is your chance to stop and say, you know, they're on a highway to hell, and what am I going to do about it? And like Reese Howells, he took that place of intercession. He says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Him who has clean hands and a pure heart. And the Lord, today we took communion. What a better way to start this thing. We took communion, and we're clean before the Lord. And we need to get up on the, on the hill of the Lord to see from his vantage point what he's doing right now um, on the earth and in our city here. Um, so the Lord spoke, and now we're going to take his word, and we're going to pray it into existence. We're going to bring this thing forth. And I saw my wife. She just had twins. She looks great, by the way, for twins. I mean, I can't believe it. And, and she, um, you know, I saw her. I know people give this analogy all the time. I've heard it a million times. But when it happens to you, you realize it's, you know, I'm standing there in the, in the OR. She had to have them in the OR. And she had them naturally and everything. But they had her all prepped for surgery in case things went wrong. And I'm standing there. And it was like this weird classical music was playing. The lights were all dimmed. And I'm, like, sitting on a chair. It was all kind of peaceful. Then she would push, and it would get all tense, and then peaceful again. And then, so this went on for like almost four hours. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like thinking of her whole pregnancy. And I'm like, from, from the beginning of time when the babies were conceived all the way to this time when they're being uh, birthed, it's, it is like carrying a burden of the Lord. It's like carrying a thing in prayer. And when you see these babies come out, it's like they're here. And I don't just go, okay, raise yourselves. You know, but I'm still, every day, I'm, I trust me, every minute I'm feeding them, I'm changing them, we're, we're doing everything with, for them. And this is how this is going to be, this word. We've seen it come forth, it's been, it's, it's been, you know, so to speak, conceived, and now it's going to be birthed. We're going to start seeing kids get saved, and then we're going to start to have to mentor them. We need some white, old, you know, gray-haired men and women to come alongside of them and say, listen, kid, this is not smart what you're doing. That's not the way. I tried that. It doesn't work. This is a good way to go. And, and you know, I do it all the time with, with my father-in-law and my dad. I say, what should I do with my business? Should I do this? No, 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 no. Don't do that. Do this. And I'm like, okay. You know, and they're like my college professors. I didn't go to college. So, you know, and, and, and they help me along. And it's, it's like we need that wisdom. So you're going to have to serve in that area. You're going to have to serve in the realm of prayer and fasting and giving birth to this thing initially. 
and, and just giving your wisdom and your concern. Um, someone here, I not to put you on the spot, but Pastor Richard would always, I, he was my youth pastor. I still call him Pastor Richard. It's Richard to a lot of you guys, but he always stopped for, for kids that no one would stop for. And I learned a lot from him. And thank you for that. And, you know, and your, your, your job is to stop right now. And you say, oh, I can't give up a meal. <laughs> no, I love food too much. And I'll tell you, I love food. I'm Italian. I can out-eat any of you. And, and when I get past the initial headaches and body aches and everything that goes crankiness, everything that comes along with not eating, I, you step into this place of the Lord's grace that you feel like you're walking on a cloud. And you're like, am I going to die? Am I going to, you know, all these things going through your head when you first get introduced to this stuff. You know, I'm really a lot better if I eat. I'm more productive of a person. You know, these things start coming in your head. And, and they're all true. You know, they're, they're all true things. But just sit down and, and take some time to, to, to fast. Whether it's we should all give up TV and social media. He said, maybe you can, but I think everyone should do that at the base and then say, okay, now what does this look like dietary? If you have diabetes, like he was saying, or different things, you've got to be careful and, and, and read that pamphlet out there. It's got everything in it. But, you know, there's guys out there that are my age, and you can skip a meal. And, and you can skip a meal and say, when, when you look at this, this kid and, and, and they come and give their heart to the Lord, you say, in the spirit, I gave birth to that. I skipped meals so this kid got, could get saved. And they're here at the altar. That does something to you. I, I prayed for some friends to have a baby, and they're having a baby. And I told my wife, I said, I, I fasted, and I said, I want them to have a baby before Christmas, and they're having one before Christmas. And it's been a really long journey for them. And I said, when I hold that baby... Whether they let me near it or not, I don't know. <laughs> but when I hold that baby, it's going to be like holding one of my own kids, even though it's not my kid. I said, I don't know the attachment that I can tell you I have to this kid that's not even born yet. I said, but when I think about it, it makes me want to cry. I said, they were told over and over they can't have a kid, and now they're having a kid. Within two weeks of us prophesying to them and saying, you're going to have a kid by Christmas, they got pregnant. And and all the doctors couldn't fix them or whatever, the Lord fixed the problem. I don't even know what the problem was. Okay, so i got to wrap it up here, but Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What is righteousness? Righteousness is the right things of God. It can be defined as the right things of God. So you can be hungry, thirsty, spiritually, for the right things of God in your marriage, in your finances in your kids' lives, whatever. But when you're hungry and thirsty for an issue, God, it's the law of heaven that he gives you an answer to that, to that hunger and thirsting, to that cry. It, it's his word. It's, it, it doesn't falter and, and waver and say, maybe he's going to answer it. It's the law of heaven that he'll answer it. The question is, is how hungry and thirsty can you get? My mom had epilepsy. I'm going to give you a quick version here. She had epilepsy. She was really sick. Doctors couldn't fix her. She's on every pill. She's like 43. She, they found out she had it when she was two. And she was getting progressively worse as the years went on to the point where she was living on, a, on our basement couch. I was already moved out of the house, but in my dad, mom and dad's basement couch. 
She couldn't get up. She was having a couple seizures a day and just like a fainted, passed out mess laying there. And uh, I got mad at God. I wrote this letter, you know, basically like, you stink and all this stuff. And, and I don't understand you and this and that. Or, you know, what's your problem? What's your deal? Real accusatory. And a couple months later, we're in Kansas City. This lady prophesies over me, and I, I had it recorded. And she said all these things that were kind of generic. And I was like, cool, this is nice, encouraging. And then when it was all almost done, she goes, one last thing. Your mom. The Lord has your mom. And I go, she got my attention. And she just dives into this thing. And he starts crying. He's standing next to me. I'm crying. I'm like a mess. How do you know this, you know? And um, went home. About a year later, I'd say maybe even longer, the Lord brought it back to me. My mom, this is where my mom was really sick about a year or two after this word. And he said, it's time for you to fast for your mom. And I was like, okay, I'll do anything you want. If that's a magic trick, I'll do it. And for a week, I didn't eat anything. I just drank water for a week. And I was doing construction. I don't know how I made it through that week. And no one knew what I was doing. And I would come home at night and pray in my basement, which was like a dungeon. I just bought this house. And uh, it was really dirty down there. And I'm just like, sit down on the dirty floor and pray. And for the first five days, four days, I was like, just sitting there, staring at my ugly wall. And I'm like, fifth day, I sat down there and I just started crying for two hours. God, I don't know what you want, you know, going back and forth. And the Lord, I felt like a, just a weight lift off me. I said, God, at the end of it, I was like laughing almost. I'm like, put this in your hands, you know. Now I'm like this great man of faith, you know. And I'm like, you know, this is, uh, this is on you, you know, have, you know, do your thing. And, and uh, the Lord heals my mom three weeks later at a, at a uh, conference. She went back to the same place where these people prophesied over me. And she was sitting on the altar, and this huge guy comes over and says to my sister, I had a dream that I prayed for an epileptic, and she got healed. Can I pray for your mom? And so my sister's like, sure. And he prays for her for about a half hour, an hour, and my mom gets up and says, my brain, like, my mind feels clearer. And uh, she came home and told me what happened. I told her what I did. And I said, why don't, you know, I challenged her, why don't you start doing things you couldn't do before and that you used to like doing when I was a kid. She always ran a lot and like half marathons and stuff. And I'm like, why don't you try running again? So she said, okay. And she went out, it was 90 degrees at noon, high humidity. My mom in high humidity at like 75 degrees would feel like she's gonna faint. She ran 10 miles down Jefferson in the sun, came back and I'm working in, <laughs> at the neighbor's house, painting their house. And uh, I, she comes back, she's all sweaty, and you know, I'm like, how do you feel? She's like, great, I feel 100% normal. And I said, awesome, let's go get an EEG. So a couple of weeks later, she got an EEG. And got, the doctor came back after a few days and said, Lisa, I don't know what happened, everything's gone off, off your scan, and everything's gone. And, and so we stood in that place. When I went after I prayed, fasted for a week, I laid hands on my mom, she didn't move off that couch. She, she looked just as dead as she did the day before. And actually, those three weeks, she got worse. And I just was like so lighthearted. I said, God, you have my mom. I'm standing on that word. And, and he healed my mom. And so there's a, a concept here that we have to grasp as a church, that you can pray through an issue 
But if you just offer up these prayers kind of as a prayer warrior, oh yeah, I'm praying for you, but you never really do it, or you might do it right before you go to sleep, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you attach yourself to the issue and say, these kids mean more to me. One of them being lost means more to me, oh, just as much as if one of mine was lost. You know? And, and I'm going to pray through this thing and, 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 and get an answer to it. That's when we'll start to see these kids come up to this altar and, and stick with the Lord. Amen. So, and with that, I, I just want to close and say that um, in Ezekiel 22.30, it says, I look for a man among them that would build up a wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found none. And it goes on to say, so therefore, I'm going to stretch forth my hand, basically, and put back on their heads all that they've, uh, you know, you know, reap for themselves. And, you know, we don't want to see that happen. We don't want God to look down on Roseville and say, is there anyone, you know, and we're all going eating Twinkies for these three days. We can do it. We really can. We can make it through it, and we don't have to break down and, and, and feel like we're dying. This is going to be a good thing. And this year, the Lord's going to move on the youth group and, and use them to light us up. And this is the last thing, I promise. When these kids come around, this is one thing I've observed, because I was in the youth group not that long ago. When they get on fire for the Lord in, in their youth, they're going to make a lot of mistakes, a lot of them. And don't sit there and be religious and, and try to stomp them down. But come alongside and mother and father them, because they, they need the wisdom. They have the zeal, you know, of their youth, but they need some wisdom. And that's what, you know, these guys are pastors are for. But anyways... Thanks, Robert. Well, one of the benefits of fasting is we can go longer in service now, right? Nobody's going out to eat. <laughs> uh, I'll make this quick. Let's wrap up. But um, there's been a company of believers here since September. We've been praying every Friday night. And this has been pretty much our sole agenda is to pray for these prodigals. So we've been praying for the youth group and the leaders and all those involved, all those who've been disenfranchised. So Friday night at 7 o'clock, if you're not doing anything, we invite you to come here and, and uh, join with us in, in prayer because we're trying to give birth to this word, as Robert said, and then we want to nurture that word as well. Last Sunday, I was um, honoring a friend by going to his church. Turns out you guys didn't have church, but I did. So I missed my chance to have a week off. But I went to this other church, and this church... And this area is known for taking in all the down and outers. And, and they're not the pretty people, you know. And, and uh, you know, when we look around here, you can just see the blessings that we have. And so I'm in this church, and all during service, man, the Lord is just working on my heart. Because as I look around the room, I just see these people. And they're all tatted up. And, you know, I know a lot of people here have tattoos. But I'm talking about the extreme tattooing, the extreme piercing. Um, just the way they're dressed. You could tell many of them had scars from being in the world. I mean, really scarred up and a lot of physical problems. And they were just totally down and out. But I don't know about you, but when I see someone that really has a wrinkled up face or a lot of scars, they're interesting people to me. I want to hear their story, don't you? It's like, that person's got some life experience. And as I'm looking around this sanctuary, I'm thinking, these people are the prodigals. 
these are prodigals. This is a prodigal church. And that's what this church specializes in. All the people who have been offended, all the people who have been wounded, all the people who have been disenfranchised end up at this one church. And as I began to look at them, they just start to look prettier and prettier to me. And they start looking lovelier because I realize these people have had so many bouts with the world and they were, over to, they were able to overcome the world and its ways. And these were prodigals who had found their way back into the church. And I was thinking, that's how Jesus would look, right? He had holes in his hands, scars in his side, scars on his forehead. He had those whip marks on his back. He probably walked with a limp. And, and he must have looked like the prodigal when he came home. He was probably thin and gaunt and dirty from serving in that field, in that pig pen. But yet when he came home, he was beautiful to his father. It said he, the father fell on his neck and smothered him with kisses. So today, I just want you to invite back the prodigals. We want to, as an act of faith right now, if the worship team's here, just uh, if you guys can start ministering on your instruments. But I just want to take a few minutes for us to begin the process of calling them back. So if you have any prodigals in your household, in your family, or that you know of in your workplace, people who've known the Lord but who've walked away, we want to call them back. And maybe today you're one of those prodigals. You're sitting here and you feel distance. You feel estranged from God. This is your day to come back. And you know what? It said the Father ran toward him. And that's what we want to do when we see these prodigals coming back. We don't want to reject them. We don't want to judge them. What do we want to do? We want to run towards them smother them with kisses. I'm so glad you're back. Welcome home. We're going to have a celebration. And we've already seen some first fruits. And I don't know about you, but I just long to see these, these aisles just filling with prodigals finding their way back home. So I invite you right now as we close out this service to come forward and pray for your prodigal. Or pray if you are the prodigal. And we want a turning. We want a change to happen this day. Come forward right now. So he ran. He didn't walk. He didn't mosey. He didn't saunter. He ran. So we just run towards you, God, right now. Just keep coming and just, just fill up this whole front. Start calling them out by name. Just start naming them off. Go 